0: you have to stay on top of trends. Today's leaders always need to be learning. In this environment of limited resources, the only way to remain competitive is your ability to leverage your most important resource. Welcome to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. In this program, we'll dive into leadership fundamentals that are essential to your success. Now, here's your host, Tom Krea.
1: Good Monday morning. Welcome back for another episode of Your Evolving Leadership Journey. You know, in the past few months we've been talking with some very great authors who've talked about long distance leadership, change resilience, leading leading with clarity, servant leadership, of course, and a number of a number of others. Now, this audience is primarily for people who believe in servant leadership principles like self-awareness, humility, empathy, listening, persuasion, stewardship, developing others, and building community. And today we have special guests from the UK originally from Australia who are going to talk to us and it's going to be about these two core principles, servant leader principles of self-awareness and humility. Mm -hmm. So I'm very looking, very much looking forward to having this conversation. I've really enjoyed their book. And, but before we continue, I've got to say and give a huge shout out to South Africa. And I know Adrian Pretorius is listening. So thank you so much, Adrian, for introducing um, the Clemics and I, and I also have to say thanks to Charles Koetzer, who was one of our guests in a September episode, one of our most popular episodes. So without further ado, Stephen and Mara are our husband and wife team, are the co-founders of HeartStyles and the co-creators of HeartStyles, HeartStyles Indicator Tool, a tool that measures effective and ineffective thinking and behavior. They have been working in corporate the corporate world for over 30 years focusing on individual team and organizational behavioral and cultural transformation. They both believe that the style of one's life, character and leadership comes from an attitude of the heart and have placed this at the core the people of the people in their people development industry. They are co-authors of Above the Line, a book that's going to be coming out next month and I had the privilege of pre-reading it. And it's been a, like I said, a great pleasure to read. Now I'm not going to read their bios because they're online, but I want to share with you something that um, Stephen and Mara share in their uh, bios and i will ask the first question. And here it is. Stephen, at the end of his bio says he's when he's not delving into the depths of the human heart, he's scaling mar- mountains. And Mara's close says when she's not delving into the depths of the human heart, she's avoiding cold mountains. So first, a welcome to Stephen and Mara. And Mara, when you're not which what do you rather do then? <laughs> Hello, That's Tom. Cool. Hi, Tom. Thank you for having us. And we have uh, you. my pleasure.
2: Value to your listeners and to their lives. So. I actually
3: wasn't sure how many people would actually read the bio. So when I, I decided to put that little little bit of um, information in there, I didn't think that many people would notice. But thank you for noticing that. Um, why do I avoid scaling mountains? Because in my youth, when Stephen and I first were married 25 years ago, I did a lot of climbing and got very cold. And as I've gotten older, I've become a bit old and cranky and I don't like being cold anymore. So (laughs) I still go climbing with him, but usually I'm a, I'm a fair weather climber. So I tend to probably go and read a book in the sun. That's what I would do.
1: Ah, okay. Uh, Well, well, look, you know, uh, as she was telling you her answer, she was giving you some of her background, her experiences, and that's going to get into exactly what their book about, is about. And uh, and I'm just going to jump right to it. Could you just tell us, because you were talking about, I believe, the S plus T equals Bs. So I won't tell the audience. I'll let you share that. Explain that, please.
2: Yeah, very good. Well, thanks, Tom. I'll like, jump in there and um, just on your first question, it's part of the marriage contract, page two fine print. Mara, you know, did, Mara didn't make like that bit about going climbing with your husband.
1: Hey, i got to tell you, I'm sorry, uh, and I don't want to make this too much of a personal show, but uh, I enjoyed reading that little quip in your book because my wife and I have a similar uh, fine line thing that wasn't seen. And, but please go ahead. Well, um Let's go back with this S plus T
2: equals B. And what the B is, is behavior. And you've only got to sit in Starbucks having a coffee and you're observing behavior wherever we go. We're we're all psychologists, all observing behavior. But what drives that behavior? And this is where the S plus the T fits in. The situation or the stimulus around us drives our thinking. And that causes our behaviour. So if you've got two people walking in you know, a, a, in a park somewhere, you're in Central Park, New York, and you've got two people walking along and a, a, a big Alsatian dog is running along barking. Bark, bark, bark. And the behaviour from those two people can be entirely different. One person wants to pat the dog. One person wants to run away from the dog grab some sort of a, a stick or something to protect themselves. It's the same dog, it's the same situation, but completely different behaviour. And, of course, what what's driving that behaviour? And this is where we talk about in the book the three T's. The, the, the thinking is made up of triggers, templates and truth. So look at those two people, to give you this example. One person might have got a dog for when they were five for their birthday. And their trigger, when they see a dog, is friendly. Their template is happy template. Mm-hmm. Dogs are friendly, I've had dogs all my life, and their truth is dogs are always friendly. That's me. <laughs> right.
3: Well, go.
2: And when we when we do this on a course, we ask people, how many of that? That's you, that's the friendly. But, of course, someone in in their life might have been bit by a dog. So their trigger when they see a dog is, the dog's going to bite me. Their template is pain. Their template is, I'm going to get bit. And their truth might be that all dogs bite. (laughs) So their behavior is entirely different. Same situation, based on two different types of thinking, based on their triggers, their templates and their truth. Now, the interesting thing, Tom, is that uh, the truth not might be might not be the truth, because not all dogs are friendly, mm-hmm. and not all dogs bite. Right. So, self awareness comes around discerning the situation and understanding your triggers, templates, and truth, and then deciding what is the appropriate behaviour. And that's part of the, the book that we uh, referred to in this very simple formula of S plus T equals our B behavior.
1: Okay. Now, look, if you're listening and you want to call in and, and uh, ask a question, that number is 866 472 866-47- now, Stephen, I don't know if this is important enough to go through, and if not, I'm going to skip to the next question. But in the opening of the book, you talk about uh, your experience with the Olympic torch. Is that relevant? Do you want to share anything about that, or should I ask another question?
2: <laughs> well, everything in the book is a great question. It was one of the most amazing experiences um, in my life because I, I experienced total unity. Can you imagine, like, running with the Olympic torch on the day of the opening ceremony? The streets are lined with people. They're packed 510 deep. It doesn't matter what our race, religion, colour. It doesn't matter. Everybody was in unity of, you know, this is the five rings of, of, of the Olympics. But to be able to experience that, Tom, is something that's very dear to my heart It was a great experience and wouldn't it be great if we could have that in our families in our organizations um, as our servant leadership models for way of creating unity
1: mm-hmm.
2: and having a, a unified vision and mission a unified team working together listening to each other understanding each other to drive results But having that unity is something that I experienced amazingly. And and as I said in the book, it wasn't like half an hour after that, you've got the same people getting back in their cars, tooting
1: their horns at each other. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Get out of my way because I'm trying to get out of the traffic. Well, look, it, it, you know, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but here's the uh, what I would tell you is when I read that, it was just very inspirational, and, and I will share with the listeners that every time I do have one of the guests on this show who's an author of a book, I know that they're going to contribute to this, something to the this uh, total um, effort of leadership development. And so I'm always happy to have them, and I and I learned something from the book. Now, what was very different for me in my experience in reading this book, it was personally it touched me in a number of ways and and instead of it being incremental growth for me I can see it more being exponential growth. So I, I have to thank you for that. And I and I want to share without being all effusive like you talk about in your book where you come into somebody's um, foyer or you know the entranceway and, and you say everything's great. I don't want the listeners to just hear everything is great without backing it up. So let's get into this and I want to kind of get you the listeners to I want you to paint a picture for where where is gonna take this next question is gonna go. So what they have in their book are four primary um, behavior styles, and they are humility, love, pride, and fear. And if you're actually listening, I would like you to write these down on a piece of paper, and I'm gonna explain to you how. In your Northwest quadrant, write humility, Northeast, love, Southeast, fear, and Southwest pride and then the two on the top are the effective behaviors or above the line styles hence the book and the two um, below pride and fear are the ineffective styles on the left side the humility and pride are those where we have our personal focus and on the right side uh, love and fear are where we have our focus towards others now with that said please I don't want to steal any more of that but I just wanted to set it up who would like to take this just uh, there's no question here but explain to us what more about what you what I just shared.
2: Well, I'll start, and <laughs> like a lot of things, I'll say twenty sentences, and Mara sums it up in one. So, um, the what we did with the research is, and it took us eighteen years to develop Heart Stars. We looked at what are the behaviours that, that that we see when we're sitting in Starbucks and observing behaviour, but what actually drives the behaviour. And that's where we started our hypothesis on what are, what are the principles that are driving behavior? So, as you've got these four quadrants, and thank you for explaining it in the north, south, east, west, it's interesting because we call heart stars a compass for life.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I remember that.
2: So, when we go south, which is very normal, it's not, it's, this is not right and wrong, it's very normal for us as human beings to go to fear. And it's self-limiting fear. That's the problem with it. So in that southeast corner, you've got this self-limiting fear. And and as a result of that, we will use behaviours like approval seeking. Will you approve of me? Or avoidance. I don't want to say anything. I'll be dependent on what other people think because I'm operating out of fear. But in that southwest quadrant, if, if the ways of counteracting fear is to use what we call ego-driven pride. Now, this is the negative pride. There's positive pride, but let's just talk about the negative pride in that southwest corner. And that's where the ego says, well, if I've got fear, I'm going to go and prove myself. I'm going to go and perform. I'm going to persuade. So I'm going to be competitive and compare myself with everybody else. I'm going to control the world around me. and I'm going to be perfectionistic and even to the point of being the smartest sarcastic person in the room. And what that's actually doing when we did our research, it's it's counteracting fear. So fear and pride, fear and pride, fear and pride is our normal modus operandi of a human being. And that doesn't become servant leadership. That becomes self-leadership. Self, self, self. So going back to the fear quadrant, it's what we call self-protecting. It's passive and self-protecting. And in the pride quadrant, It's what we call self-promoting. It's aggressive. And that is the normal way of operating. And it can get results, Tom. It gets results, but it doesn't build culture. It doesn't build trust. It doesn't come from servant leadership. It comes from self serving leadership. It's not about others. So that's the below the line. We call all of that behavior normal, and it's below the line. It's how a lot of businesses operate. You can make money out of it does it build culture does it retain talent does it get this intergenerational people engaged and of course the research says it doesn't create engagement create disengagement so what's the opposite to that the opposite is what we call above the line so this above the line is operated by different set of values And those values are what we call courageous humility. I'm going to be courageous and authentic. I'm going to have two ears and one mouth. I'm going to listen to other people's ideas whilst I'm still a leader. That's what a servant leader would do. Two ears and one mouth instead of two mouths and one ear. So they would be courageously authentic, but they're also driving results with what we call achievement-driven thinking. So achievement-driven thinking is about we, not me. It's about the spirit of we will do this. We can do this together. And that's where a leader starts to operate out of this courageous humility. People start to feel safe. People start to feel like we're all in it together. And this this leader, I've been with the company for two months, and this leader's prepared to listen to my ideas. And that's where we start to build a, a culture of trust. And safety so that's what we call the growing self quadrant personal growth quadrant then you move over to the north east corner and that's what we call the love quadrant and it's growing others through love respect honor integrity all of those values you can imagine years ago when we are doing our research, you're going to talk about love in the corporate world? Are you joking and humility? And like when we started this 20 years ago doing our research, it's actually longer than that. We were laughed at. But you can see now, you've only got to pick up um, top magazines from the the you know the Yale and Harvard University. People were talking about heart, authenticity, humility, respect and honour. That's what this current generations are looking for when, when we talk about servant leadership Tom. and we've been able to build a model and a framework around it so now we have a model a framework and a language and these behavior styles of encouraging others developing others being compassionate towards others so we've ended up with four quadrants based on four principles and four behaviors per quadrant. So there are eight po- above-the-line behaviors and eight below-the-line
1: behaviors. So let me, and- let me in, interject here and kind of recap a little what you said and, and ask another question. First of all, for our listeners, um, our two guests, one is a theologian or former theologian, or I guess you're never... We never lose it, but uh, you're still a theologian. That would be Stephen, and and Mar is the psychologist and a neuropsychologist, by the way, which is always fascinating to me. So, um, so to recap some of the things you were talking about, you know, we talked about people who are into this for making money, and I would argue, I, got, I always, I always uh, smile because you know, in the '80s when I started my career in the army, and they had the core values of leadership, L D R S H I P, and the S stands for selfless service, and I've always felt that that culture was all about serving others and so when when we say that the corporate world has picked up on that I, I guess i feel very blessed that i was able to participate before the rest of the world caught on and i don't know that that's totally fair but i'm just glad that i had the experience that i had and again i got to refer back to my guest in september charl who talks about and shared with us that you know the, the quote where um companies who operate from a spirit of love and purpose uh have a uh return on uh, investment, I believe, of 1,026 um, percent. That's what it is. Eight times greater than good to great companies. So, um, to me, absolutely servant leadership is the answer. And, and if, if we need to convince the corporate world, then I believe that the quote from Charles' book, and he gets that from another author, is, uh, is very pertinent. Now, when Stephen was talking about uh, the, here's the great thing about this book, is that when he was talking about the 16 behaviors, eight are above the line and, and eight are below the line, and they refer to this and, A-N-D, A-N-D concept. And what it means is is that, and, and this is the the very the striking part that I'm taking away from this book, is that you could be operating below the line in one of those eight behavior styles, but your real intention is to be operating above the line. With that, please speak to that, um, whomever. Sure, Mara's off.
3: Okay, (laughs) well, I think this concept of the and, that we are all an and, and that is that we can in the same body and personality be someone who in certain S plus T equals B moments, so we go back to our little formula, in some situations I might be the best version of myself, because I am feeling secure in who I am, I'm confident, I'm feeling authentic, etc. I feel free to be able to be compassionate towards others, etc. In other situations, for whatever reason, because of some templates, think about our templates from S plus D equals B, I can also, as the same person, operate below the line. Either out of my behaviour because of my templates, my behaviour may be reflected in self-limiting fear behaviours or ego-driven pride. And so what we tend to say is because these, uh, um, the pride and the, the fear-based thinking and behaviour are all based on good intentions. So... We're an and because most of the time we have good intentions. It's just that sometimes those good intentions get attached to insecurity or fear and the way that they are manifested in our behaviour is either to protect ourselves through um, passively making sure we're okay and getting validation from others or pushing our way forward to prove to ourselves and others that we're okay.
1: So. Okay, so so I want to I want to take a specific example because this is going to be a two part question, and and I believe as you know from my leadership background, this is going to be a question that others are going to have as well. Can you as the leader be so much? so much of yourself that you suppress others. So here's the question for you. In your model, you, you refer to as the above the line is the encouraging person, and the below the line is easily offended. Now, in my life, I think of examples where I really want to be encouraging, but somehow the person I'm communicating with is easily offended. Is that Does that give you something to talk about and kind of go through that example with listeners, please? Sure,
2: Tom. When when we're giving people feedback, one of the, the fear enters the room because uh, people fear being criticised and rejected. And if you're a servant leader, your fear is that you don't want to hurt somebody, right? Don't want to offend somebody. Uh, but, you know, you're a narcissist. You don't care, but <laughs> because you, you only think of yourself. Well, well, so as soon as we start to get into the quadrant where we're talking about encouraging and developing people with compassion, there is um, this undermining fear that comes into the room. And that's where if you have uh, been able to establish a, a, a culture of trust, a culture of concern, a culture of love that people feel that I've got your best interest at heart, And if you believe that I've got your best interest at heart, you will allow me to coach you. If you feel that I'm going to intimidate and dominate and reject you, you will be pushed more into the fear quadrant. And therefore, anything I say, you can take personal. You can see me giving you feedback as a personal attack. And then you can get into the easily offended. And this is one of the constructs that we decided in our research to add to our tool because there's so much easily offended going on. You imagine six people coming into a meeting. So you've got six people coming into a meeting. Let's say each one of those six people are bringing in the different below the line behaviors. Some people have been more competitive, some people are controlling, some people are being passive. And avoiding and they're easily offended because they don't want to any criticism of their work and I'm, I'm sure none of us have ever been in a meeting like that but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it, when I say it's normal this, this is what happens because everybody brings in their insecurities and their defensiveness and people are trying to drive results and some people are coming in with their fear and they're presenting something to the team an idea And and with those six people in the room, if they're operating out of below-the-line values, below-the-line behaviours, it's going to be a tough meet. And easily offended is one of the most critical things that we saw in our research, that people Mm -hmm. are dancing around, tiptoeing around certain people because they're scared and they're not prepared to say anything because they're a controlling leader. Don't say that to the boss. That'll be a career-limiting move. And really, that control is actually coming from easily offended. So again,
1: yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Please continue.
2: Well, so you know, you've got these six people in the room. Imagine those those same six people coming into the room with the -the above-the-line values. We've got a problem to solve. We're going to listen to each other. We're all going to be authentic. We're not going to be offended. We're going to take other people's ideas and criticism well because out of this we could have a great outcome, guys. Let's be nimble. Let's be innovative. Let's respect and love one another while we're trying to solve problems and drive results and innovate the future. How much more exciting is that? You can feel the energy in the room even as I speak now. Mm -hmm. What the energy in that room would be if you had those same six people coming in with above-the-line values and behaviours.
1: Right. Now, look, we got to take our first and only break. And uh, so for everybody who's uh, listening or just joining us, we are speaking with Stephen and Mara Klemick and we're talking about their book that's coming out in January called Above the Line. Now, I want to just kind of close out before we go to break that uh, here's, a, here's a quote from your book, and uh, it just very much resonated with me, so I want to read it to the listeners, and we'll let them think about that until we come back. From love, we unlock values of respect, honor, and compassion. We connect with others more deeply. We live more fulfilled lives. But to do so, we can discover and identify our own inner value. And that emer- actually emerges from humility. We'll pick it up from there when we get right back. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
4: As Tom works with leaders, something he consistently sees is their struggle with engagement and retention. Then their frustration with having to repeat the employee development process again and again. What most people don't know is the answer lies in love. Once they realize that they simply need to apply the golden rule, the results are surprising. They start bringing out the best in others. They develop confident, capable employees, and they find they have more fun and freedom and less stress in their lives. Perhaps most importantly, they satisfy what they've been craving. Now they've created the culture that they and their team have always wanted. This is when synergy takes over and the results are astounding. The first step is critical. When you exhibit the self-awareness and humility that shows you need to learn and improve continuously, you set the example and encourage others to follow. To learn more, visit Blackhawk Leadership Development at BlackhawkSpeaks.com. That's BlackhawkSpeaks.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a
0: member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. the bottom line in business. You are listening to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you have questions or comments about the program, you may send an email to Tom at blackhawkspeaks.com. Now, back to Your Evolving Leadership Journey.
1: Welcome back. We have been speaking this morning with Stephen and Mara Klemick from the UK, originally from Australia. And um, I'm going to pick up where I left off. But again, I first, I've got a skin shout out that the only reason we're here is because of my new friends in South Africa, Adrian and Charles. So thank you so much. I hope you're listening. So here's the quote. From love, we unlock values of respect, honor, and compassion. We connect with others more deeply. We live more fulfilled lives. But to do so, we discover and identify our own inner value, and that actually emerges from humility. So, as I'm reading the book, I'm I'm what which I think every good leader would want to do is you're being introspective and you're trying to figure out well how can I do something better. And I'm thinking oh so geez are you telling me here that of all the quadrants, even though for instance, Christ would talk about love being the, the main thing, and it's hard to dispute anything he says or has said. And uh, I'm thinking, wow, but it all comes from humility. It emerges from humility. So can you pick up from there?
3: Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that word humility in our um, society has still got sometimes connotations of weakness. That if I'm a humble person, I need to be, you know, quiet and in myself and not a a strong um, character. But really, humility um, is actually about self-awareness. It's about knowing who I am. I know my foibles. I know all those little parts of myself that I need to, to develop. And I'm not afraid of those. I'm not trying to run away from them and hide them from myself through denial, and also try to hide them from everyone else around me who probably already can see these things anyway, if they're looking, um, and are being impacted by those potentially. So the humility part is the more that I'm willing to know myself, the more I'm able to liberate myself from my fears that are holding me back, that are limiting me, And it actually allows me to face who I I am and who I can become. And to also know that this process of life is a process of becoming.
1: Okay. Well, look, I'm sorry. You were continuing?
3: Sorry, Tom. I was just going to say, actually, it was going to be, um, I think it's sarcastic, actually. I was going to say, whoops, that, uh, you know, sometimes that's really annoying because you think, you know, when you work on yourself, you can get to these things, you learn your lessons and you go along and you get quite oh good I'm getting you know pretty good at this sort of thing I'm feeling quite happy in myself and then life comes along and gives you another lesson to learn and you can get there thinking sometimes great haven't I already just learned this why is this facing me again probably because life is a process of becoming and sometimes we need to learn the same lesson again (laughs)
1: Right. Well, look uh, for our listeners. If you've heard me interrupt Stephen and Mara, look, it's not intentional, but it's here. Here's a, another self awareness thing. I'm a lean in the forward foxhole kind of person, and I'm constantly looking to to go to the next thing. Um, it's probably a bad thing in this particular where we're talking about here, and so I apologize. And part of that is just this latency with uh, speaking to somebody over the pipes in the UK. But I want to just kind of uh, kind of share my observation on what Mar just said about humility. I got to tell you, when when I expressed my humility to those folks when I was in leadership positions, they identified with me more. They saw me as a real human being and they were willing to accept. If I was willing to admit and accept my failures, they were willing to be able to share theirs as well. Uh, so before I go on to the next question, you're nodding, Mara. Do you want to pick up and continue? And I try not to cut you off this time. No,
3: no, no, no. You could be giving me some good examples that I might be talking too long, that's fine. Um, I think, yes, now look, I think that that's very much around vulnerability, isn't it, Tom? That usually you find that people who have learned humility, and a lot of us need to learn humility, it's not necessarily something that uh, we're born with. I think some people are lucky enough to be that way, but the majority are not, in my experience. but I think with that comes that ability to be vulnerable, as you were saying, and particularly as a leader, the more that we can share that we also have um, areas that we're working on, the more people feel safe around us. It gives people permission to be able to talk about their own areas as well. So I think it's really important.
2: Mm. And like the work Brené Brown's done on,
3: mm, on yeah.
2: the research around vulnerability, so if you if you... If you mix up vulnerability, well, that has to come from a, a place of humility, but and that's what we call it courageous humility, Tom, because it does take courage to be humble.
3: Yeah,
2: it takes courage to listen, because if we're, and especially if you're a, a big leader, if you're if you're a, a, a purpose-driven leader and, you, and you've got a vision and a mission, it takes a lot of courage to stop, to listen to observe to be vulnerable. And and you, you talked about the eighties and the eighties we, we were taught completely different. Position is power, information is power, we must control, control, control. And uh, you know, it's a, a mindset that, that we we need to shift. So this is where we talk about we shift our heart attitude, we shift our thinking, we shift our behaviour. And the current generations are looking for leaders who are big leaders, but big heart led leaders from this courageous humility and growth driven love.
1: Yeah. You talk about, you just mentioned that in the eighties, we were taught differently. And and this is where I, I smile and I think, you know what, that's why I honestly believe I am a product of the best leadership development culture in the world. I was not taught that way. And you know, Courageous humility—I mean, I don't know—humility was one of our values per se in our in our core or acronym, um, but it certainly was something that was expected. And you know, when you were talking, I, I wrote down some things. You talked about Brene Brown, whom you quote several times in the book. And you talk about courageous humility. And I just think that the self-awareness concept, it's a servant leadership principle, is so, so important because the more you understand who you are, the more you're able to say, oh, wow, I'm learning something new. Oh, wow, you know, it's okay. It's okay for you, us to learn. It's okay for us to create this learning environment. And so, you know, and you, you have this, right? As a matter of fact, it's one of the things I'm going to be posting on social media that you write, love creates a safe place. And you're talking about this in chapter four, and it's about the eight styles. Um, do you want to talk about that at all? How love creates a safe place.
2: Well, just just think about it. But, you know, if you're a parent, and you're coming into your environment, your dad, and you're coming home from work, and you're coming in as dad, not as the person who's stressed, got a hundred things on their mind, and their mobile phone ring. You come in and being fully present to love and to give out of that. How much of a you know? Do, you, is it, do a safe place you create in that environment. So, if you can take that to the workplace, we've had many a leader that we've said, "What? Why don't you bring your parent heart to the workplace?" Bring your mum's heart or your father's heart to the workplace and you'll create a place of love. You'll be create, And the, the, the point of a parent and leader is also some discipline, is also some correction. So that's where we believe you can change the atmosphere. You can change the spirit in the workplace, in the home, in the sporting team. You look at sports people who are coming from ego pride versus sports people who are on a team coming from humility and love. It creates a different atmosphere, Tom. And that's where we're seeing that when you come into an environment with that humble heart that's prepared to listen and love others and respect others, it changes the atmosphere. And if I'm in a safe place, I've got a chance of speaking up at that meeting even though I might be new, I'm even I might be a you know, new person on the team with a big idea. If there is a an atmosphere of trust and an atmosphere of, of listening, I'll feel that I've got a voice. And that's where if an organisation gives people permission to live like that, and that's where we're seeing organisations being able to give people permission to live above the line. They're using the Heart Stars framework to communicate from the CEO to the front line, and one of our one of our great clients, actually in in the US, uh, has had servant leadership in their organisation there, uh, in engineers who build buildings across America, and um, they had servant leadership, they didn't have a model or a framework to be able to explain it. And what they've been able to do is adopt the Heart Styles framework and language for their team. So is so that from the CEO to the front line where that lovely saying, all singing off the same hymn sheet. And they've got that um, Heart Stars tool to be able to refer to and continually pick themselves up if they're going below the line to be able to shift above the line. So love changes the atmosphere. Humility changes the atmosphere. Of course, so does fear and
1: pride. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Well, look, um, so I just I wanna I wanna use me as an example here. And you refer to in your book how the same person could be above the line in one situation and then below the line in another. And that same person can do it in one environment versus another. And some people are gonna be above the line at home and below the line at work, or vice versa. Well, let's be a little vulnerable here. I'll be personal. I am better in my work environment. That's a shame. I know that, and I have to fix that. So when you meet people like that who are trying to better themselves, what would you tell them? What, what do you say to them?
3: Well, I would say S plus T equals B.
1: <laughs> okay.
3: <laughs> the formula for everything. No, it's... Um, there's always reasons why we are more above the line in some environments and more below the line in others. And I think it goes back to us being an and, because we can be both of these things. But I think it's also about asking, I would ask the question, what, what is happening for you in this particular S, this particular situation or environment? that is causing you to live more from a fear base and an attachment to something than when you're above the line?
1: Would you like me to answer? Sure. Okay. So I think this is valuable for the listeners. So as the parent, as the dad, I would say, I want my children to grow up learning certain things. And when and, and you've you got to imagine I'm an army guy I come from a disciplined environment so if they don't get a certain structure or they're not getting the things that I think they should be getting it frustrates me so I guess yes I am operating from a position of fear so that would be my answer to you
3: oh uh, Tom that, but thanks so much I'm sure I, I hope that that's really helped people you know because you're not the only one I right. mean entire a universe that's ever felt like that just so you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, I absolutely know that, and I and like I said, I, I I want I want my listeners to realize that it's okay to be vulnerable. And as Brene Brown talks about it, I probably need to read more of her content. But she, it, it's it's not a bad thing. And and I forgot the quote that you say in the vulnerability section, something to the effect that what we see is this way, the people on the outside see as courageous. How did you word that? Go ahead. So. Well, I, I don't know which one you're referring. Well, you know to. what? You know what? Let's go back. I'll, I'll find that. I'll find that while Mara is answering the, the issue that I just spoke to. So I'll get so, to that. Please go okay. ahead.
3: So I think that that what the example you gave was a wonderful example. Thank you. You're welcome. Because as a parent, your fear. So if I may have a go at just suggesting perhaps what might be going on. You love your kids. Yes. Because you love your kids, you want the best for them. So you are attached to your kids having the best they can have and for you to be able to provide them with an environment, with support, with whatever that includes, to be able to, to get to that place in their life. So the positive is all of that. The negative of that is that when we get attached to something, this is a good example of where a positive intention can sometimes come out and the impact of that and the impression that it can give in behaviour can actually not have the same positive outcome as that intention. So the the fear and the attachment around I must or I need to make sure the kids are doing well through these things that I might do or, or help them with, can come across to the kids potentially as i have to do this because dad says so
1: uh you just hit us in a nerve with me because i used to hate when my dad used to say because i said so and i always vowed that i would be not that person and that i would explain why and i always did that with my soldiers i would say to them look if we're in the heat of the battle, and I can't explain to you why we're making a decision. I just need you to support me, and I'll get back to it. Feel free to ask me later. But that's not ty- the time to be asking me. Any other time, I'm happy to explain. And in and, and taking your advice there, I simply need to um, do more of that approach. Now, what you just said, Mara, reminded me of something you said at the end of the book, and I promised you in the, before we, we were talking prior to this session, is I was going to bring this up, and I didn't know if I should take offense to this. I'm going to read it to you <laughs> and tell you why. Uh-oh. So, so I'll, I'll emphasize the words that, that I'm going to ask you, because she's referring to uh, something from Ken Blanchard's book, The One Minute Manager, or she, they are referring to. And I got to tell you, they were very formative, and they shaped how I, I became a leader, um, both that uh, one, The One Minute Manager and Leadership in The One Minute Manager. I highly recommend them. But she writes, or they write, I'm sorry, I don't mean to target you. Um, the principle, old as it is, Are you telling me I'm old? All right. (laughs) From the book, The One Minute Manager is worth sharing. To operate effectively and compassionate, the challenge is to practice separating the person from the behavior and then finding shared meaning between us. I'm sure you could talk about that. So please enlighten our audience because it was enlightening to me.
3: Okay. So if I could go back to that example that you gave for the kids. And I will also be vulnerable and go back to, uh, go to an example that I had a similar experience of when our daughter was 11 or so. She um, was going out. So this is, this is the good intention of the parent versus the not-so-great outcome of the behaviour. Okay. So my intention was to make sure that uh, my daughter was healthy and warm because she was going out with her friends So she came up to me and said, I'm about to go out. And I said to her, I could have said, darling, that's wonderful. Have a lovely time with your friends. But what came out of my mouth was, you're going to be cold. Where's your cardigan? So in my mind was, oh, no, terrible mother if she gets a cold, you know. So I reacted in a way that made the point very quickly. She took that potentially, actually to her great credit, she didn't take it really negatively, but she did um, point out that I was an overprotector, at which point I then pointed out how on earth, what psychologists have you been hanging around that you even know what that means at 11? But she was right, and I did apologise to her and explained to her that the reason I said those things was because I got really worried that she's going to go out you know, underdressed, get a cold, and you sort of get into this sort of catastrophic thinking. I'll be a terrible mother. I'm really hopeless and all the rest of it. So my attachment to the fear was greater than my ability to have self-insight in that moment and realise that the way that, because I'm thinking my good intention, I don't see that my behaviour is not necessarily commi- communicating that in the same way. Right. It's received differently. So to go back to to your example, with the kids, yes, maybe it is talking to them about why you do the things you do, because you love them, because you care about them, because you have concern for them, and the way you think is a way of helping them is what you've been doing. It might not be the way that they they would do things, but that doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's just different. So the shared meaning is we love each other.
1: Well, look, we have less than 10 minutes, and I want to just kind of recap what she just said. And, and I would just compliment you, Mara, for you. You created a mirror. I mean, for your daughter at 11 years old, what I was hearing is wow, for her to be that insightful became because of the way the two of you trained her in developers. So, congratulations for that. Steven, I found the quote. So, here we are, and I believe this is from Bre- Brene. Brown, and you can correct me if it's wrong. It says showing vul- vulnerability might look like weakness from the inside, but it looks more, more like courage from the outside. I, yes. I think I paraphrased that. Go ahead.
2: It is, and it's um, you know very much where we're coming from, and Brené and Simon Sinek, and the, well, we're starting with why. We're starting with what's happening from me on the inside cause we live in an outside in world we live in a world that gives give me outside in gratification tell me i'm okay give me a trophy make me a winner a grinner approve of me that's an outside in gratification and it's very nice to have that but if i'm going to live my life like that i'm going to continually be insecure Whereas uh, where, where we're all coming from is to build our character within. Our, the heart is the seat of our character, and if the heart's coming from a courageous, humble, and loving place, we're loving ourselves and up on the inside. Therefore, our inside world is is secure. Our inside world is: I know who I am. I know where I'm going. I'm going to encourage others and take other people. With me. That's what's coming from my heart, and that will manifest outside. And this is very nice if someone congratulates you and someone gives you a trophy because you've won something. But that's where the difference between needing an outside in gratification or an inside out way of living. And this is, you know, again, where our personal growth actually comes from. This is ageless, timeless wisdom. We haven't come up with anything either.
1: <laughs> yeah, you piece it together very well. Well, look, Stephen, we've got only a couple more minutes left, and I, I want to end the same way we started, ladies first, ladies last. So I want to ask this question of Mar, and it came in from uh, one of our, our listeners, or one of our regular listeners. It says, is there a specific link between the line indicators that we want to use less and those above the line indicators that we want to use more? Part one and part two is which ones do we focus on and how do we prioritize? Look, I don't know if you're going to have enough time to answer it, but do the best you can. And if not, we'll bring you back and we'll have another conversation.
3: <laughs> okay. I'll try to be succinct and say, if we can work more around becoming more authentic, true to who we are, and we build our character through really becoming the, the authentic person, the genuine person that, that we can be, we actually need less of all of those below-the-line styles of behaviour and thinking because all, of, all they are is coping strategies. So the more we can build our authenticity, the more we build our inner character, the more we, don't, we can take off our coats of coping strategies, our below-the-line coats, and live a life that not only takes us towards our potential, but we live more of our life in it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, look, I want to wrap things up and I want to say again, it's been a great, great pleasure and honor to be able to be one of the first people to read your book. Um, I love the number of things about it. And as I said to the listeners, you know, all of the books that I read and I share with you during these interviews, I I, I learned something, but this stuff de- definitely touched me personally. And because self-awareness is so huge for servant leadership and you got to know who you are. Uh, it, it's always important to me personally to be able to, um, take a book, take, have takeaways that are going to change my behavior. And and that's, I just feel like they've got these exercises in the book. I started a few of them and I'm going to go back and I'm going to complete them because there's so much value in it. So I highly recommend these, the book Above the Line, Le- Living and Leading with Heart is going to hit the shelves in january you can pre-order it right now on amazon so please do thank you so much for listening i look forward to having you back and i also hope to have stephen and mara back any final just i want to say thank you and i'll leave you your last comments to say
3: i just wanted to say actually just to commend you tom there are very few people that actually have been as diligent in reading through some of our book um, as you had, so I, I just wanted to, to thank you for that, and I'm so glad that it's actually been of help and useful to you. So I mean, that's it's fantastic. a
1: fantastic book. Look, I were I'm going to get cut off by my producer, um, Stephen. Say goodbye. Goodbye, and thank you for your <laughs> vulnerability. Goodbye. Thank All you. Right. Thank you. Have a great week.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. Be sure to join host Tom Crea for another edition next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a great week.